If you want to return to your seats and uh, take your Bibles and open them up to Psalm 19. And I am going to ask everybody here and everybody watching this online to get your Bible open. So if you need a Bible, there's one right in front of you. Go to the middle of the Bible. You're going to probably land in the book of Psalms and then go left a little bit, I think, to Psalm 19. So Psalm 19 is our passage. And while you are opening that up, I want to make a statement to you that is going to provide the basic understanding of everything you're about to hear over the next 30, 35 minutes. And here's that statement. God speaks. He speaks publicly. He speaks powerfully. And he speaks personally. God speaks. Amen? The problem is not God's proclamation. The problem is our listening. The problem is our hearing. And you will only hear God speak clearly through faith. Now, I could preach to you week after week and day after day, or somebody could preach to you constantly. You could read the Bible every day faithfully. And you can store up in your minds all kinds of information and all kinds of insight and all kinds of knowledge. But the only way it moves from the mind to the heart, the spiritual center of each of us, where we are then transformed. The only way to get that that truth, that knowledge from your mind down to your heart is by believing it and obeying it. See, the problem is we've got a lot of spiritually obese Christians. We've got a lot of knowledge, but it's clogged. It's stuck in your head. It hasn't yet gotten to our hearts. It's got to get there, and it only gets there through faith and obedience. So let me ask you to do something. I'm going to ask you to listen very, very carefully with one ear to me, and one ear to the Bible, which is God's clearest voice. And then I'm gonna ask you to continually, all through this message, right? You should interact with me, by the way. You should interact with God. I want you to continually, can we all do this? In your mind, quietly, inside of you, use your inside voice, and I want you to be asking God over and over and over while I am preaching this message, God, are you speaking to me? God, are you speaking to me? God, are you speaking to me? And if he begins to thunder that and echo that, the answer is most assuredly yes. Now you've got to believe it, and you've got to act on what he is going to tell you. And he will only speak to you in what is in accordance to his word. Okay? If you're hearing God say to you, you know that, that lady sitting by herself is really pretty. I think I'm going to go marry her. That's not, I don't think that's the Lord, okay? Don't act on that one. If he's speaking to you, though, and he says, you know, you've got an area in your life that I want to deal with, you need to hear that one. Because God speaks. Water weighs 800 times more than air. 
Yet it is lifted against the force of gravity. It is held in suspension above the earth and then moved to a a location in vapor form and then brought back down to the earth in rain and in snow. Now, according to NASA, 500 trillion tons of water falls from the sky to this earth's surface every single year. That's a really big number, let me break it down a little bit. 16 million tons of water falls to our, our surface, the planet's surface, every single second. 16 million tons. Now that's too big of a number, so let me bring it down maybe a little bit more understandably. If you stack 500 trillion dollar bills, one on top of another, up and up and up, It would reach from the surface of our planet to our moon and back 70 times. And yet the Bible says, to the snow, God says, fall on the earth. Likewise to the downpour, the rain, his mighty downpour. God commands all of this, 500 trillion tons of water every year falls to the surface planet, the planet's surface, and God directs and commands all of it. He speaks to all of it. We are in a series called High and Lifted Up, and we are learning to be a worshiping church. And first, we learned from Psalm 95 of the importance of preparation that we must prepare ourselves to come into the presence of the king of all kings, Jesus Christ. Did you prepare yourself before you came to church? Did you prepare yourself before you began to worship? Were you walking, driving into this church, to this service, praying, God, you're going to speak? I believe you speak. I need to get my heart ready. Have I been sinning this week? Have I, do I have unconfessed sin in my life? Well, if I'm going to go up the holy hill of worship, I've got to have clean hands and clean feet. That means I've got to confess sin. And Lord, I want you to speak to me. I'm coming into your presence. That's preparation. And then the second week from Psalm 145, that would be last week, we learned of the adoration that fills our hearts when we lift up the greatness of God, extol God, and we bow down before him, we bless him, and we salute him in praise. So praise is what comes out of us to God when we see how great he is and it humbles us and it moves us to a salutation. Today in Psalm 19, we're, I think, all going to agree with C.S. Lewis, who himself said about this psalm, I take this psalm to be the greatest poem in the Psalms and one of the greatest lyrics in the world. The C.S. Lewis, Chronicles of Narnia, one of the best Christian writers in the history of man. What we are about to learn, what we are about to learn over the next few minutes It's going to pick up on what we stressed last week. Here it is. The key to worship, the means of spiritual growth, is to meditate on the glorious wonder of Jesus Christ. And it's not that difficult to do. Why? Because Jesus speaks publicly. He speaks powerfully. And he speaks personally. Well, that's our outline. Let's hit it. Number one. 
Jesus speaks publicly. Now let's get your Bibles open. Listen, this sermon, any sermon, is gonna mean so much more if you will actually be in the Bible with me. So let's look in the Word of God and see what it says. Psalm 19, everybody there? If you're looking at me, you're not there. I know, I know, I'm incredibly appealing to look at, right? No, maybe not. Psalm 19 is way better looking than me. So let's get your eyes down there, ready? Here we go. The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech and night to night reveals knowledge. There is no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. Their voice goes out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. Now, I wish our translations were a little more accurate to the grammar of the original Hebrew. That's what this is translated from, the original Hebrew. Because what David really wrote in verse 1 is this. The heavens continually declare and the sky continually proclaims. That doesn't come through in too many modern translations. It's in the ongoing grammatical tense. So what we've got in the Jewish mind, now listen, let's pretend for a moment that every one of you are Jewish. Okay, for a minute, think that, because you have a different understanding of the word heavens than non-Jewish people typically do, because to the Jewish mind, the word heavens means one of three things. So look at me, you ready? Number one, it means the blue sky above, which you didn't see a whole lot today because it was really rainy, but it's the blue sky. Number two, the word heavens is at night when all the stars come out and the moon comes up. And number three, the courtroom of God himself where God is present. So you've got three meanings of the word heavens. Here, David is calling on the first two. It's the daytime blue sky and the nighttime star-filled sky. And he's saying around the clock, 24 hours a day, the heavens are, are speaking, they are declaring, they are proclaiming the glory and the handiwork of God. And they do it without human voice and they do it without use of human speech. We just don't hear it well enough. See, all creation speaks of its creator and who actually is the creator. Wow, watch this. Look up on the screen, you're gonna find the identity of the one who's speaking in Psalm 19. For by Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Did you know Jesus is the one that created all things? And all creation speaks of its creator. Now, now watch this for a second. I mean, think with me for a moment. You gotta get inside the psalm in order for the psalm to get inside of you. So think of this for a moment. I was sitting in my chair in the living room looking out the dining room window at our big gigantic maple tree in the backyard today. And the leaves were just blowing and I could hear the wind rustling through them. Do you know that I could sit in my recliner and watch this 
and be moved to worship by just watching creation speak of our God? Do you know a blade of grass worships God better and more than we do? A blade of grass is not too busy. A blade of grass is not distracted. A blade of grass is not in love with an idol. A blade of grass is in love with its creator. And in its non-human speech is declaring and proclaiming the glory of Jesus Christ. And the Apostle Paul tells us, even while creation is pouring out speech, look at verse 2, it pours out speech, it gushes forth like the Niagara Falls over and over continually, and every person through all the earth to the end of the earth, verse 4, hears it. Did you know every single person can hear creation giving glory to God? I didn't say they all acknowledge it. Every single person hears it. And this is why I know that, because Paul tells us that. He says in Romans chapter 1, For what can be known about God is plain to them, them being even those who suppress the truth, even those who don't want to worship God, because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, two things, his eternal power, his divine nature, have been clearly perceived. That means you can see it, you can acknowledge it. Ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so they are all without excuse. Listen, every single human being that's ever lived, not one of them will ever, ever be able to say to God in that final day, the day of judgment, I did not know you existed. They did. They did. See, every single person hears creation speak, perceives the power and the nature of God, though many suppress the truth. They are without excuse. So here we go. Ready? We're the redeemed, right? I hope you've got a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, having trusted in his death, burial, and resurrection. I hope that you are by faith saved through the grace of God. And if you are, then you can clearly hear creation speak. It is pouring out a proclamation of God's glory. It's an amazing, amazing creation. Look at verse four, in them, that would be the heavens, Jesus has set a tent for the sun. Do you see, this is poetic. This is actually a song. All the Psalms are songs, Israel sang them, and they are poetic, so this is poetry. He is describing the movement of the sun from sunrise to sunset. It looks to David like a bridegroom, that would be the man getting married, coming out of his tent with joy and happiness and radiance, looking and hurrying to his bride for the day of his wedding. His face is shining with expectation. That's how David describes the sun. Now think about the sun for a minute. The diameter of the sun, it's about 865,000 miles, just about. Well, just put it in perspective, our Earth, the diameter, if you go from one side to another straight through the planet, it's almost 8,000 miles. So you've got 865,000 miles straight through the sun diameter, and you've got almost 8,000 miles on the Earth. So let's say you get in a spaceship. And somehow you travel around the sun, hugging its surface, somehow, just imagine with me. 
you would need to go 2.7 million miles to get all the way around that sun. If you just go around the earth hugging the surface, you've got 25,000 miles to go. Sun's pretty big, isn't it? You know how many earth planets you could stuff inside our sun? 1.3 million. And our sun is only an average size star among the hundreds of billions of stars in our Milky Way galaxy, which is just one galaxy of 200 billion galaxies in our universe alone. This is the size, the scope of creation. It is absolutely mind-boggling. It reduces us as it lifts God up in his greatness. And friends, if you have faith and you are responding in obedience, what comes out of you and what comes out of me is a salutation of praise. God becomes famous. The spotlight gets on God, not me. I don't want it on me. Put it on God. He's the creator, Jesus, his son. But can we hear can we hear the speech of creation? Are we listening to what it is proclaiming to us? Problem is, a lot of us can't hear it. Years ago, we took a group of about 45 teens and parents on a family-based mission trip to Juarez, Mexico. And the first part of the trip, we flew into El Paso, Texas, and then we took a school bus for several hours, three to four hours, up into the mountains of Capitan, New Mexico for two days of training. We're 7,000 feet up into the, Mexican, the New Mexico mountains. And when you're up there, and there are no competing lights of the cities, there's very little air pollution. It is the most dazzling display of God's creation at the nighttime that you could possibly see. It's a worship moment. So how do you hear? How do you hear what God, what Jesus is proclaiming and declaring through his creation? How do you get your ears open to them? Let me give you three suggestions. Maybe you might want to write them down or if you don't have anything to write them down, just remember one of them and say, okay, I'm gonna put this into my, my life this week. Number one, turn off your radio in your car. Turn off the TV at home and look, observe, pay attention to God's great handiwork in the creation all around you. We're getting too distracted by noise. Can you learn to turn it off? But I tell you what, I really don't listen to too much stuff on the radio anymore when I drive. I try to remember to pray and to observe and pay attention. Turn off your radio, turn off your TV. You know, years ago, um, my, my brother-in-law down in North Carolina became a pastor and was in a very small church. He didn't get paid very much at all, very, very poor. And so I have four kids, and Denise and I went to our four children, this is many years ago, and said, listen, Uncle Lee and Aunt Diana, they're really struggling financially. They don't make a lot of money. He's in the ministry full-time now. And we're paying just the TV portion at that time, $35 a month. 
And so Denise and I sat our kids down and said, what, what would you think if we cancel our TV, no more TV, and we give that money to Uncle Lee and Aunt Diana every month? And they all agreed. I don't know if they knew what they were agreeing to. They were pretty young. But we went years without TV, and then you know what? We got TV again. You know why we got TV again? Because I could not stand not watching football. Every fall that went around, came around, I was like, oh, let's get TV again. We did. It lasted for maybe a year. And we just kept seeing all the junk, all the junk, all the junk coming in through that TV into our children, into me, into Denise. How distracted we are. And we turned it off. We haven't had TV for probably 15 years now. And you know what? I'm going to tell you the truth. I do not miss it at all. I hate that TV. Listen, turn it off more. You don't have to cancel it. Just turn it off more. Turn off your radio more. Listen to the speech of Jesus Christ through his creation. That's number one. Number two, carve into every single one of your days 15 minutes of just absolute quietness. At first, it's going to freak you out. It's going to terrify you. You're not going to know what to do. Your 15 minutes in the beginning are going to feel like three hours. You're going to fidget because you're not used to it. Our world is purposely putting as much noise pollution into your heart as it can. It is. That's a tactic of the enemy. 15 minutes a day. At first, it will seem hard. And then all of a sudden, as you get used to this, 15 minutes will not be enough. Can you do that? 15 minutes a day of absolute quiet and pray. Read the Bible. Think about God. Listen. Pay attention to the sky. Observe the creation all around you. Listen to the proclamation of creation to the glory of Jesus. Number three, keep your eyes on God's creation at the same time you put your mind in God's word. You're going to See why in a few minutes. Keep your eyes on creation while you keep your mind on God's word. So if you're in God's word daily, which I hope you are, I hope you're studying it, right, daily. David said in the morning and in the night, I meditate on God's word. And I'm like a tree planted by streams of water. Fruit is coming in season, and my leaves are not withering. Those are all spiritual metaphors. I am strong in my love for Jesus. Listen, get in the Word of God, but at the same time that you keep your mind in the Word of God, keep your ears listening to the creation and to the Jesus speaking to you through creation. 1997, I'm going to tell you why you do this. 1997, my dad was dying from cancer. Tell you what, he died in 1998. That was a blow. That rocked my world. 1997, he's dying. I take a group of teenagers down to Johns Hopkins University for a one-week Monday through Friday conference, a youth conference. So I take them down to Johns Hopkins, and every morning at the conference, they said the same thing. They said, they said to all 1,000 of us, take your Bibles, go anywhere you want on Johns Hopkins University campus, take 45 minutes, and just meditate on the Word of God. Just read it and listen. Johns Hopkins, if you've never been there, it's absolutely stunningly beautiful. Courtyards all over the place, benches out there. I found a bench. I was the only one in this courtyard underneath this massive, massive tree. 
And where I opened up my Bible was Isaiah 61. Just happened to open it up, note the air quotations, to Isaiah 61.3, which prophesies of Jesus bringing glory to himself by establishing his people as oaks of righteousness. My father served the Lord all of his life, taught Bible studies, was an elder at his church, started the church that I grew up in. All my life, my father was ministering to people. And when I read that God will establish his people, it was a solution to the mourning that was happening in Israel. God will establish you as oaks of righteousness. And I'm looking up at this oak tree that I'm sitting under on this bench. All of a sudden, listen, my grieving heart realized that Jesus was establishing and will establish my faithful father as an oak of righteousness. He's going to be okay. Yes, I will grieve, and yes, I will mourn when he died, and I did, but he is okay. In fact, he's better than he ever was. See, God spoke to me as I had one, my mind in the word of God, and my eye on creation. He worked through the word, worked through creation, and he brought peace and comfort and the solution to what my hurting heart needed. God speaks publicly. Jesus speaks publicly through creation. But number two, he speaks powerfully. Creation, now listen, creation publicly proclaims the glory of Jesus, but we need his powerful voice declared to us. And every biblical writer, I mean, my mind's been open to this. Everywhere you see the scriptures where the writer is talking about God's greatness through creation, they run out of words. They always do. They run out of words, and then all of a sudden, they begin to talk about God's work of redemption. So God's creation, his public voice, will only get you so far. You've got to get to the powerful voice of God in redemption. Now look what it says in verse 7. Remember, this is a song, and David's writing it. The law of the Lord is perfect. That's the Bible. That's the scriptures. And what does it do? It revives the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. And he goes on and on, and I'm going to go through them in just a little bit. But let me get you to notice something. Look at verse 7 for a moment. And I want you to look at verse 1. Did you see in verse 1 that David says, gives the name God? In the Hebrew, that's L, E-L. But not here in verse 7, he gives the name Lord, and then you keep hearing Lord, 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 and it's all small caps, capital L-O-R-D. And any time in the Bible, in the Old Testament, you see L-O-R-D in all small caps. It is the name of God, which is Yahweh, Jehovah. It's the sacred, supreme, personal name of God. And he gave it to only his people. Now listen, it is the name that he gave to Jesus, his son. See, Jesus is all through Psalm 19. It's the law of Jesus which is perfect and revives the soul. It is the testimony of Jesus which is sure, making wise and simple. The precepts of Jesus are right. And it goes on and on and on. But I want you to look with me another word in verse 7. Can you see it for me? The law of the Lord is perfect. That law, that word law is Torah. Some of you are going to know what that word means. 
If you're a Jewish person, you really know what that word means. Law is a word, Torah, but it comes from a root word meaning to shoot an arrow. To shoot an arrow. In other words, God's word always hits the target like an arrow. And the target is our hearts. The target is our hearts. 1996, I will never ever forget the month of March. It was life changing for me. I was the youth pastor here and I was broken. I was exhausted and I was seriously considering quitting ministry as a pastor. I went to my office one morning. I had nothing left in the tank. I knelt before God in prayer. I still remember this. I'm kneeling and my upper body is on this sofa that I used to have in my office. And I am just pouring out my struggles to God. I'm just crying out to him. God, what is wrong with me? Is it, are you done with me in ministry? Is it time for me to step out? And then suddenly, suddenly, God spoke deeply into my heart. I will never forget it. In fact, listen, I can quote his words today. I put them up on the screen. It's the only time this has ever happened in my life. Here's what he said, Tim. Here is why you are on this earth. Here is why I created you. Take my words and get them to the hearts of people and lead them into transformation. And then he said this, whatever you do, whether you do this in ministry or secular work outside of ministry, if you just take my words and you get them to the heart of people, you will be supremely joyful. That's exactly what God spoke into me. It indelibly imprinted on my heart. The only time in my life that anything this powerful has happened. I got up from that couch. Now listen, I got up from that couch where I was kneeling. My exhaustion was gone. My despair was gone. And I don't mean it was ebbing away. It was gone the Lord replenished me by his powerful and personal voice deeply into my heart. He speaks to our hearts. He changes us from the inside out, giving us new affections, new desires, new attitudes, new ambitions, new aspirations, new power, new purpose for life. God fired an arrow. He hit my heart and he replenished my soul. David's about to fire arrows, one after another. He's got a quiver full of them. And if you have faith, friends, listen to me. I promise you, if you have faith and you will put this into action, it will change your life. Arrow number one, he says, the scriptures are perfect. Look at your Bible. You don't need to be looking at me. Look at your Bible, verse 7. The scriptures are perfect. They're complete, they're blameless. They have the power of reviving, restoring, and bringing us back from wandering. Number two arrow, the scriptures are sure. They are reliable, they're trustworthy. They're able to give you God's wisdom. If you want wisdom, go to the word of God. 
Arrow number three, the scriptures are right. They are pleasant. They're able to make you full of joy. Number four, the scriptures are pure. They're clean. They're clear. They're sincere. They're able to open up your eyes. They clear the fog of confusion out of your life so that you can know the next step to take. The scriptures here called the fear of the Lord. They're clean. They're without corruption. They're unspoiled. They're never out of date. They're always relevant. They're never obsolete, even after millennium go by. And finally, the scriptures are true. They are just. They are fair. They are accurate. They reflect the righteousness of God's character, and they always, always, always hit their mark. They fly true. Christians, these arrows go to the heart. They bring a change in your inner being. And your heart will begin to value and love God's word more than great riches. That's what he's saying in this song. Your heart will begin to find God's word sweeter to your soul than pure raw honey to your tongue. Your heart will gain confidence to heed its warnings and live by its truths and hope for the rewards that it promises. That is the power of Jesus' voice through his scriptures. Now, I told you a few minutes ago that I was going to tell you why you need to listen to God in creation and why you need to listen to God in his word. Charles Spurgeon brings them both together. He called creation the world book and the scriptures the word book. And here's what he said. He is wisest who reads both the world book and the word book as two volumes of the same work and feels concerning them that my father wrote them both. Yes, he did. Jesus created the world and Jesus is the written, the living word that brought about the written word. And we're about to see that very, very clearly. Final point, number three. Jesus not only speaks publicly, and not only does he speak powerfully, he speaks personally. The written word, here it is, leads believers to the living word, Jesus, and brings about transformation. Now listen, I want you to look at me for a moment. If you want change in your life, If you want to overcome addiction, if you want your marriage to turn around, if you want to get a hold of your anger and replace it with peace, if you want power to no longer lust after every person of the opposite gender that walks past you, if you want to be able to lay down the bottle and to be able to have sobriety for the rest of your life, listen, if you want deep, deep change, it is brought about by an experience with Jesus Christ. He is the change agent. And the way that you find him is through his word. The written word leads you to the living word for a transformational experience. Listen, if you ever go to somebody for advice and they are not leading you to the written word so that you can find your way to the living word, you are getting bad advice. Do not listen to it. All transforming counsel is from the written word that leads you to the living word, Jesus, for a transformational experience. Always, 
And let me tell you how it works. Everybody hold up your Bibles if you would. If you're at home doing this, hold up your Bible. Come on, some of y'all are not doing it. If you're not even, just get a Bible in front of you, lift it up. Oh man, I see the ones that aren't. I'm coming, I'm coming for you after this. All right, I want you to put it over you. That means it's your authority. You're under it. All right, amen? All right, I want you to put your Bible down. I want you to see something. This right here is a mirror. It's really, truly a mirror. Paul talks about it in 2 Corinthians. It's a mirror. And as you meditate on the written word, here's what it's doing. It's showing you the perfect and accurate reflection of the living word, Jesus. You want to know what Jesus is like? Get in the Bible. The written word is meant to reveal him. All right? And the more you meditate on the written word, the more you study it, the more you read it, the more you treasure it, the more you love it, the more you come to it, the clearer you're going to see Jesus. And when you see Jesus more clearly, the Spirit of God is going to do a work inside your heart to make you more and more like him. He will do the work, and he does it from the inside out. Now, let me tell you a problem that is actually growing today, and counselors are having to deal with it. It's called body dysmorphic disorder. Body dysmorphic dysmorphic disorder. Some of you might have it. What body dysmorphic disorder is, is where a person mirror gazes. They look in the mirror hours a day, sometimes even longer, and they're staring anxiously at every perceived flaw in their body. I've worked with people with this. The mirror is like a black hole. It draws them in and it will not let them out. And the root of this, along with every single obsession that you or I might have, it's shame and it's guilt. It's always the root of it. And ultimately, the perfect mirror of God's word is the healing remedy as it leads you to the living word of Jesus for a transformational experience. David sings of the power of God's word to heal our hearts. Look what he says in verse 12. Who can discern his errors? Who can see them accurately? Declare me innocent from hidden faults, he prays. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then, then, transformation. I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. And then he gets us to the final verse of the song. It's the greatest one of all because he identifies the one who performs this great transformation. Look at verse 14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Yahweh, Lord, Jesus, my rock, the one that is the sure structure under my feet, and my Redeemer, the one that died on the cross to take away my sins so that I could have a relationship with the Heavenly Father. Jesus, now listen, I'm almost done, so you can give me every bit of attention you got left. You ready? Right now, Jesus sees everything in you. You cannot hide a thing from him. Listen, you come to my house, we've got a little closet in the foyer, and we stuff it full of all of our shoes and close the doors. 
so that nobody that visits sees it, right? You cannot do that to Jesus. He sees everything. You can't hide a thing from him. He sees it all. He sees what you did last night. He sees what nobody sees, what you don't voice, what you don't act on, but yet you think about and you want. He sees everything. Now listen. If you have put your faith in Jesus, every sin, all the way in your past, today's, and tomorrow's, the Father in heaven takes every one of those sins and your guilt and your shame, and he puts them onto Jesus when he was on the cross. And Jesus said, give everyone to me, God. I will die for them. I will pay for them with my blood. And guess what? If you believe, oh, now listen, because every one of you are gonna tell me, if I ask you, yeah, I believe there's a God, I believe Jesus was real. Oh, that's not biblical faith. The demons believe the Bible says, and they shudder. No, believe is a beautiful word of trustful love. When you say you believe in Jesus, it means that you have loved him and that you have trusted in him, that you are giving him all of your confidence. You are persuaded that you can be forgiven all of your sins, persuaded to the point where you can fall down before him and call him Lord. That's what it means to believe. Not everybody here probably has done that. But the moment you do, the Father declares you innocent. And his love, like the Niagara Falls, pours out on you continuously every single day of your life. And when he speaks deeply and powerfully and personally into your heart and he sets you free from the dominion of sin, you will understand even more what it means to have a Savior who loves you like nobody ever has. You see, Jesus speaks publicly through creation. He speaks powerfully through his word. And if you will trust in him, he will speak personally all the way to the bottom of your heart, and he will begin to give you a transformation from the inside out. That's why he deserves glory. That's why we shine the spotlight on him. That's why you're not coming to a church that makes Tim Ackley famous. You're at a church that makes Jesus Christ famous. We want to brag on him. We want to boast on him. We want to exalt Jesus. And the more that we exalt Jesus and we see how great he is in creation and how powerful he is in his word and how personal he is in his love for us, then you're going to fall down on your knees in humility and you're going to bless him. You're going to salute him with your praise. That's what it means to be a worshiper of Jesus Christ. And when we fill these pews with those kind of worshipers, we will be a worshiping church. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you. 
Lord, for Psalm 19, as C.S. Lewis said, the greatest psalm in all of the psalms, Lord. And I have to concur, I think he's right. And Lord, it is so pleasurable to meditate on it. And Father, we have seen that you speak publicly through creation. We have seen that you speak powerfully through your word. And we have seen that you speak personally into the hearts of your people. And you change us from the inside out. Father, set your word loose like arrows into our hearts and make us the people of God that worship you. Father, can we carve out time? Would you help us to carve out time? Will you help us to turn off the radio, turn off the TV, learn the discipline of quietness as we turn our, our, our eyes to you and to keep one mind, part of our mind in your word while the other part listening through your creation. Lord, help us to be the people of God that worships our God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.